Welcome to Green City, a podcast focused on sustainability. I'm your host, Lene Marty Henson. We invite you to listen in on our conversations for positive change. It is my hope that we can all come away with something that resonates within our own lives and inspires us to action within our own communities. Let's start where we are and find ways to work together to create more connected, more vibrant, and indeed more sustainable communities. Join us each week as we learn from each other. We wrap up our water series with a focus on the impacts water has on climate change and how we need to build in resiliency for a more sustainable future. Alicia Vasto, the Water Program's Associate Director for the Iowa Environmental Council, is moving from co-host for this series to the guest chair today. As someone who has supported environmental educators and advanced environmental literacy, she has expertise and experience in communicating the need for urgent action in implementing climate change solutions. Joining us also from the um, Iowa Environmental Council is Brian Campbell, the executive director. And his academic training, teaching, and research have focused on the history and culture of American environmentalism, especially the values and stories that motivate grassroots engagement. We're thrilled to have you both join us this morning, and your expectations expertise is vast. So I look forward to this discussion and um, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks. And you've both been on the show, Alicia, this month. Um, Brian, earlier this year when we did the seven capitals. So on the blog at the website, Your Green Portal, um, I'll have a link to their bios where you can hear them there, but we're just gonna dive right into the discussion today, if that's okay. Yep. Um, so during this series focused on water, which is certainly one of the key resources we need for life um, as humans on this planet, um, one of the challenges that it seems like we continue to face is nudging citizens to action and real solutions. And I'm grateful that both of you spend every day working on this and are really out there um, helping us all move in the right direction. So let's just, as an overview quickly, Alicia, why don't you, from our discussions the past few weeks, what, what has been your key takeaway from the guests we've had on so far? Yeah, I think um, in all of our discussions about water quality and water quantity issues in Iowa, um, the biggest takeaway for me, um, and and maybe it's just my background and my role with IEC, um, looking at things through a policy lens, is how large these issues are and how complicated and how much of a focus we should be having on policy solutions to our water issues in the state. Um, I think a lot of the time we want to pivot to, you know, what can individuals do? Um, You know, you want to feel like you have a piece in this and that we can all, you know, make a difference at home. But really, when we're addressing these large issues, we need to have a bigger view um, and and bigger policy solutions. And that takes a lot of uh, political courage. So I think we just see that over and over again in all of these discussions. 
um, that we really need to be shifting, making sure that the focus is on those solutions that are actually going to have an impact. Um, and I think that that's really um, especially relevant to the discussion that we're having today about climate change. Right, right. So in this series on water, what, what is the impact of water on climate change overall? Well, I would say um, uh, the climate impact on water, um, there's a few different ways that you can look at it um, from the uh, extreme weather events um, angle, the storms that we're going to continue to see, um, you know, large storms like the derecho or the, um, the bomb cyclone that was a couple years ago that caused all the flooding in Western Iowa. Um, we're seeing these, these weather extremes related to water as well as drought. Um, you know, we've had drought for the last couple of years that has been impacting our water sources and leading to some water uh, shortages in, in certain places in our state. So um, it's just highly interconnected and those impacts ripple as well um, when it comes to water quality issues. You know, if you have um, lower water levels but higher contaminant levels, um, you know, the water is not diluting those contaminants, or um, in some cases, it can, uh, with less runoff, you have less pollution entering the waterways. So in some cases, that can um, actually help clear water up. Um, but uh, it's all uh, very highly connected and, and complicated, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then Alicia, would you say there's also, you know, ways that that more intense heat um, can add to some of the problems we have with water quality as well. When we have, you know, like algae blooms that those can be more intense when we have higher water temperatures, higher air temperatures. Yeah, we typically see algae blooms um, happen more, you know, later in the summer when the water is um, stagnant and it's really hot. Um, so as we've seen those conditions earlier in the summer, we saw a lot more, for example, this summer, we saw some algae blooms really early on in the summer that caused um, microcystin toxins in our, in our public lakes and at our public beaches. So um, yeah, those are things that I think we're going to continue to see more frequently. Yeah. So this is a big question for either of you, but, but so what is the best path forward as we try to focus on solutions as you're doing your work out there what what do you find you do get attention on and some energy behind as a as a really positive path forward so one thing i would say that we um hear more and more you know there are conversations about climate change in all different sectors, you know, in urban and rural communities, I think there's an awareness that we're seeing the impacts of climate change all around us. Sometimes that's um, in places far away, you know, so there's flooding in Europe or fires in California, but we also know that we're seeing, you know, floods and drought and high temperatures right in our backyards. And we also see, you know, an acknowledgement that, um, that there's things we can do here in Iowa. So, you know, part of that is huge investments in clean energy. And so we're really proud to be at the forefront of, um, you know, our electricity sector is now 60% from wind and that's ahead of any other state, but also, you know, 
agriculture, which is obviously such a huge part of our economy and our culture. There are lots of ways that investments in sustainable agricultural practices can be really beneficial for both um, helping to remove climate from the atmosphere and, and return that into the soils, can help to make our soils healthier and more resilient. And, and that helps deal with things like drought and flood. Um, you know, so I think there's a role that agriculture can play that both helps to solve climate change, but also to deal with the impacts of climate change. So there's a lot of opportunity there to, to grow that. I think seeing those connections between our water issues and our climate issues is really critical because a lot of the things we can do to respond to climate change also help to clean up the water if we, if we do them the right way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that our approaches to climate change needs to always be uh, all of the above kind of approach. Like we need to look um, everywhere that we can to make improvements in um, various sectors of all the sectors of our economy, you know, agriculture um, included. Um, so I, I think that, um, you know, like Brian said, we're, we're making huge improvements in um, advancing clean energy <clears throat> as well as energy efficiency. But then when we look at our land use and our land practices, how are we treating our land to not only um, be better for the climate, but then also um, mitigate those impacts of climate that we're already seeing happen? Right, right. And and when we speak of solutions, resiliency is a part of that, right? So what is being done to just make sure both in urban and rural areas that, as you've both mentioned, that we can adapt and withstand these more extreme weather events and droughts and floods. Yeah, I think that that all goes back to um, how we're using our land and, and how we're treating it. And um, if we're, um, if, if we allow our land to help us uh, with, with climate resiliency, instead of focusing primarily on agricultural production, um, it will help protect us against the impacts of climate change. So for example, if we're um, putting in more buffers and wetlands to help uh, protect against flooding, um, you know, confining those kind of flood impacts to natural areas where we want the water to stay as opposed to letting it flood into our farm fields or into our communities, um, you know, we should be building more of those, um, that kind of natural infrastructure that's gonna help uh, mediate those those climate impacts. Um, and then also with um, the soil health concept, if we're treating our, our soil better and um, allowing it to um, do some of the work for us to help absorb carbon, um, we also just have healthier soil that will produce more crops on, you know, smaller amounts of land, hopefully. Um, so those, those things are all connected and can have uh, rippling benefits for our landscape if we are, you know, doing things in a, in a mindful way. Yeah, I think we're seeing, you know, we have to start seeing our, our land as having multiple kinds of values. You know, part of that is producing crops, but, um, you know, it's really costly to deal with a flood. And so it's you know, far cheaper to invest in keeping some of that water 
um, upstream as much as we can, holding it there, letting it flow downstream more slowly. And so if we can you know, invest in the, that value of the, the land is helping us be more resilient, that ultimately saves money and, and even lives in terms of the impacts of things like flooding. And so it's well worth it. And I think we're seeing more and more there, there are people trying to do good planning across watersheds to look at you know, where, where is there land that could be really better utilized with things like buffers and wetlands? And, you know, how can we hold some of that water in place um, when we need to? And, you know, how can cities collaborate with uh, landowners upstream to help make some of those investments? And, and so I think that's really positive to start, as, as Alicia was saying, think about this from that systems perspective of how are these things connected and how are we all connected and need to work together to kind of solve these problems? And lots of different stakeholders have a role to play in that. So we're seeing that kind of watershed-wide planning and need a lot more of that. And you know, we're also seeing a lot of cities, um, big and small, that realize they have to start doing resiliency planning, you know, whether that's Cedar Rapids and what they've learned from you know, past floods and the derecho and needing to, to be more prepared for the future. I mean, I think we learn from, from those extreme weather events and, and we, we forget at our peril, you know, we, we don't learn from those. It ends up costing in big ways in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think I've brought this up at every show this month, haven't I, Alicia, the, I will. Yeah. (laughs) But we're just going to bring it up one more time. Um, is there an aspect of the Natural Resources and Outdoor Recreation Trust Fund that will also address some of these sustainable resiliency solutions that we do need going forward? Yeah, so um, the water quality dollars that would be included in the Natural Resources Trust Fund would also go a long way to addressing climate issues. So a lot of the same practices that we use to address water quality issues benefit the climate. So those are, again, things like buffers and um, wetlands, you know, so so all of those things um, are, are overlapping. So if we're able to just put more of those things in on the ground and diversify our landscape, um, that will really help with our climate and our resiliency. Yeah. yeah. I think, yeah, I will is a, is a recognition that these are big, complicated problems. They impact all of us. And so there's a real need for public dollars to, to be increased, you know, to help solve some of these problems. Some of those dollars are going to end up, a lot of those dollars are going to end up you know, helping private landowners, farmers um, do things to improve their practices, whether those are the kind of edge of field things that Alicia was mentioning or things like cover crop and you know, more attention to, um, you know, soil health on, on, on the land, but all of that has tremendous benefits for all of us if it's, if it's done right. And we know that it, it's too much, you know, for most individual farmers right now to bear those costs on their own. And so that's where I will, you know, this funding would allow a huge increase in that investment to, to help bring lots of people to the table to work together on these issues. Right. So do other, 
Are there other states who have enacted something similar where they've created the big funds that can be tapped in for these very purposes? Yeah, um, Minnesota and Missouri both have trust funds that are um, similar to what Iowa would be. Um, so they're putting those practices in on the ground and really prioritizing, you know, the recreational aspects of those things as well. Mm -hmm. um, so their citizens are seeing the benefits of, of a more diversified landscape um, in those states. Okay. And they have indeed funded them, not just voted. Yes. Okay, good. Yep. <laughs> there you go. Good to know. Um, so, so one thing we talked about in this series was the effects of water quality or not good water quality on public health. And there's certainly a public health aspect to the impacts of climate change. And, and so they're all very connected, right? Yeah. I mean, we talked about the more, you know, kind of news news by, you know, the kind of things that capture attention in the news, like floods and fires, things like that, or even droughts, but you know, even just the impacts of heat. I mean, I think people don't realize that heat is the, you know, primary cause of cause of death from, from climate change that, you know, extreme heat is, is a huge risk, especially for older populations, for the most vulnerable, you know, people who maybe don't have um, good weatherization, can't afford, um, you know, air conditioning and, you know, or have the kinds of work that where that's, they can't, you know, be indoors um, in extreme temperatures. So yeah, I think that's, that's one of the huge public health impacts is looking at um, how rising temperatures affect, especially the most vulnerable in our, in our communities. And so that's something that, that we, you know, that we can address and, and really must um, from that kind of justice perspective is from as a, a kind of moral imperative of doing that. Right, right. So how do you go about, and again, this is in your wheelhouse, you do this every day, but you, you continually work to bring diverse groups together to the same table to talk about these things and how, how do you go about doing that? And how do we continue to do that in, for others beyond what your work involves? Yeah, I think, you know, you've heard from some of our partners over the last several weeks who work together with us on water quality issues. I think the Iowa Environmental Council, that's really how we work on, on all issues is trying to bring together diverse groups we have over a hundred member organizations and then lots and lots of other you know, individuals and other partners who we work with. And I think we know that, that that's what it takes, right? We haven't solved these water issues. We need to bring together as many diverse perspectives as we can. Um, and the same is, is true for sure with climate change. Um, and yeah, that includes people who are, you know, experts with kind of technical understanding of these issues to help us think about the solutions. But, but really, we also try to bring together the people who are impacted by these things um, on the ground at the grassroots level, um, people who don't always have a voice in setting policy and, um, and helping all these people figure out how they can be heard, you know, by decision makers, by 
um, elected officials, whether it's, you know, their local city council and mayors and um, commissions that are looking at these issues or whether it's, you know, at the state or federal level. Um, that's part of what we try to do is give people the tools to be more effective in their advocacy and telling their story because I think we're seeing more and more the way this is impacting all different people and, and in very different ways. And so we want to you know, make sure that all that's taken into account so that we design the kind of solutions that are going to um, be beneficial to all of us. Yeah. And I think one of the silver linings is, um, you know, like I kind of mentioned before about how a lot of the practices to address water quality are similar to what we would do to address climate change. So if we can bring these diverse voices together to talk about concerns and, and issues, um, if we can get people, you know, aligned on on the solutions, then I think, you know, that that makes it easier to move forward. But um, it's, yeah, hearing hearing from those diverse perspectives, but luckily um, a lot of the solutions are, you know, boil down to um, treating our planet better and and diversifying our landscape and and doing all of those different kind of conservation practices. Right. Yeah. So we're always looking for those, you know, kind of win-win yeah. oppor opportunities where we can help people see, you know, we're all connected and we have there's a lot at stake for all of us. So let's find things we can do together that, that benefit all of us. And that's not always easy. And there are certainly times when, you know, people's interests don't align and we have to try to navigate that carefully as well. But, but I think at, at the basic level, like you started today, you know, that water is vital to life for all of us. It's like what we're made of, it's who we are. And it's, you know, such an important part of, of the connections we have with each other and with the natural world. And so I think if we can step back and remember that we can find that common ground and it's win-win opportunities. But, um, but yeah, often we start with the kind of, you know, entrenched politics or other interests and, and it's hard to get back to that, that human level, but, but that's, yeah, that's really vital in what we try to do and bring in groups together. Right. Well, and I would just to our listeners as the, you know, shout out to them that, that you, you truly are Iowa Environmental Council is and has been and will be going forward such a resource for having the tools, as you say, and the language to bring up issues that are important to the elected officials or to others in their community that they may just not know how to articulate um, what needs to be done or how to go about this. And you, you're a wealth of resource. So, so go to your website, let's give your website and I'll again, have it on the, on, you know, your green portal, but, but give your website again. IAenvironment.org. Okay. Yeah. So use that and use it, especially during the legislative session, but it's a good resource year round, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We got lots of tools on there. Like you said, you can you know, see what's happening at the legislature. That's really complicated for most people to follow, you know, what's happening committees or you know, what bills have been introduced and which ones are still alive. And, you know, we try to, during the legislative session, give lots of details about that stuff on our website and 
alert people when there's things that we think they should speak up about. And we have lots of newsletters that you can follow um, what's happening, you know, week to week in terms of water quality and, and other issues. So yeah, go to iaenvironment.org. There's also, you know, calendar of information. And, and I think even just seeing the list of, of our member organizations is really you know, helpful just to see the range of businesses and nonprofit groups and faith communities and school groups that are, you know, working together on all these issues. And, and just to remind people that we're part of something you know, bigger than any one individual or organization. Yeah. And we're going to leave it there as your final words of wisdom, since we're <laughs> completely out of time. But thank you so much. Thanks, Alicia, for, for being my guide and co-host through this. Um, and thanks, Brian, always for leading IEC and all of your important work. And um, we're grateful for what you do every day. So thanks for joining us. Thanks. Grateful for what you do as well. And for our listeners, um, tune in next week. Until then, stay healthy, stay engaged. And thanks as always for listening. That's all for this edition of Green City. I'm Lene Marty Henson, and I hope you continue to listen in on these conversations focused on the broad realm of sustainability. I truly believe that we go further faster when we come together to have real dialogue inspiring us toward practical solutions. Let's continue to learn from each other how best to nurture this precious planet we call home. Thanks for listening. We are truly grateful.